Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Now, we are in the second of our Ephesians series, and, and during this series, we're going to be looking at how God is at work in the world and how we're invited to participate in that. And last week, we went over the first 14 verses of Ephesians, learning about how through the blood of Jesus we're adopted into God's holy family, and we now belong to God, and um, as a sign, as a mark, and as a designation of our identity as part of God's family, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us as our counselor and advocate, leading us to be more like Jesus. Um, teaching us how to live as part of God's holy family and offering us a glimpse of a future where all things on heaven and earth are united under the Lordship of Christ. Now, that's a lot of church talk, but what that really means is Jesus has invited us to be part of his family and the Holy Spirit is teaching us how to be that family. So, so I was doing this sermon. I don't usually try to talk about like my methods, but um, so I was doing my research and I outlined my sermon and I was all ready to write and I, I usually write on Fridays, um, sometimes on Thursdays, but I usually have it all outlined on Thursday. So when Friday comes, I'm ready to write. And, uh, and I, was, I was ready to write, and I was procrastinating, so it was kind of starting to get to be later in the afternoon. And I was like, you know what, I should, as part of my procrastination, I was like, I bet you I could do a little bit more research. I'm going to look at this one last commentary. Um, and I looked at it. And it changed the whole focus of the message. Um, I was going to focus on our hope, our inheritance, and Christ's power. Right, Three things Paul mentions in chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. But then I read Klein Snodgrass's commentary on Ephesians, and I scrapped it all. Uh, um, I, I threw it all out. Um, because Dr. Snodgrass, he focused on how the text demonstrated how a church should be. And I love that because um, too often we interpret the Bible as individuals, right? Words written to us singular. But really, scripture is most often for us plural. Um, it's for the community. And the yous in the Bible are often y'alls. But we miss it because of limitations in English. And my interpretation and my outline of the passage, they're well-researched. I just thought, like, uh, it's too individualistic. And uh, Dr. Snidegrass, like in his commentary, he was able to see the implications for the whole church. Um, so I... I scrapped everything about four o'clock on Friday and, uh, and, and got to work. And so this is my disclaimer. Um, the points I'm going to be sharing are not my own. I shamelessly borrowed it from Dr. Kleinstadt-Grass. Six points on Ephesians uh, 1, chapter 15 to 23, on what a church should be. And it's found in his NIV application commentary, um, which isn't my favorite commentary, but... Um, Every once in a while, there's some really good, good, good ones, and this is a good one. So, let's. You know that sounded really pretentious, didn't it? <laughs> Sorry. Um, all right. So with that, let's dig into the words of scripture that are handed down to us across generations through the faithfulness of saints around the world. Um, Ephesians one, starting at verse fifteen, going to twenty-three. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all of God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. All right. So number one of his points is the church is a worldwide caring community. Right? That's how he starts with your love for all of God's people. Uh, Paul, he wrote this letter when he was imprisoned in Rome. But nonetheless, he felt bound to the church in Ephesus because there's a larger community in which every Christian belongs, and that's the kingdom of Christ that transcends national and ethnic barriers. Paul was a Jew and a Roman citizen, but his love was not only for his own community. He had a heart for the world. And so when he was rejected from the synagogues, he preached to the Gentiles. His allegiance was to those who belonged to his heavenly father. Church, we are not alone in this world. We're part of a global church. I mean, that's why we're involved in so many things, right? That's why we're involved in Madagascar, why we give to the blessing school there, because our family needs our help and support, and they are our family, right? That's why we regularly pray for our villages and our village churches and our pastors there, because they are our family. And they pray for us as well because we need it. That's what family does, right? Family prays for one another. We intercede for one another. And we as the church are invited into a richer kingdom than we could ever imagine. Where every people from every tongue come together to praise God. We're not alone. We're not isolationists. But we're a diverse, multi-ethnic, intergenerational, missional community. That's what it says on the Covenant Church website. Right there, like, like the national. Um, we are a multi-ethnic, a diverse, multi-ethnic, intergenerational, missional community. And we are. Because that's who God made us to be. Because our identity is found in being a people that welcomes the foreigner and the stranger. Right? Saying that you're no longer a stranger. You're part of my people. You're part of my family. And our identity is formed when we are the stranger, by being strangers and foreigners that have found a new home, that have found a new people. And so we care about our brothers and sisters around the world because they're our family, and we're bound together. Okay, point two, the church is a praying community. Now, all those who follow Christ are bound to one another. We're family. Um, serve globally. Serve Globally is the Covenant's mission initiative, and it has a daily prayer calendar. And, uh, and it, it's, it, I think they don't, I'm not sure if they make them like paper anymore, but they, I get an email every day um, so that we can pray specifically for brothers and sisters around the world and their needs. And it, it'll give like country and regional um, specific updates. And I have to say, it's pretty cool. Um, and the part of it's pretty cool because I've been around the Covenant now for about seven years, and so I go to some events and stuff, and I start seeing people I've been praying for for years. I've never talked to them. I've never known them. But I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I know what's going on in your life. I've been praying about that. Um, and Paul, he offers his prayers for the church in Ephesus, giving thanks for them and praying that they grow in knowledge. 
And that, that prayer, it, it's a surrendering. It's an acknowledgement. This world is not our own, but it's under the direction and guidance of somebody else. And when we pray, we release the world. We release the world from our expectations and our directives. And we say, God, this is yours. We give it over to God. I mean, we petition God, we ask God, but we give it back to God and we say, Lord, we know this isn't ours. But God, you bless and you reveal yourself in this situation. And so we're a praying community. We're charged as a holy priesthood to bring the petitions of people and nations before God. And that's why we spend time every Sunday here praying together so we can join with God's holy people, presenting our praises and our needs before him, surrendering out, out, the outcomes to his will, corporately, together, trusting in God. So following the model of Paul who prays for Ephesus, we spend time giving thanks to our, for our fellow believers, praying that they would know the fullness of God, that their eyes may be fixed on his glory, and that they may be empowered by the Holy Spirit to join with all the saints in building the kingdom of God. Point three, the church is a thinking community. Now you might be thinking, really? <laughs> really? Um, because that is not the reputation of the church. I gotta say, um, let's face it. The modern church is not known for its intellectual rigor. <laughs> uh, about 27 years ago, the Christian historian, historian Mark Knoll wrote this book that kind of just dropped like a bomb, boom. The scandal of the evangelical mind which starts with the premise, um, the scandal of the evangelical mind is there's not much evangelical mind. <laughs> um, and it dropped there, and it looks like, boom, it landed like a bomb. And, and it still does. Um, because Noel, he traces the historical developments that led evangelical Christians to be so enamored with having an experiential life that they gave up having a reflective thinking faith. And that evolved eventually into almost an anti-intellectual faith. Um, and, but really, we're called out both, an experiential and intellectual faith. The church has traditionally been very interested in education. Many of the nation's first colleges and universities were formed for the training of pastors. And, and God, God has chosen to give us words, right? The books, that's his authoritative way of revealing himself to us. And so we study the words of scripture. Right, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk down the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land. The land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, as many as the days are from heaven and earth. Or Romans 15, 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they might provide, they provide, we might have hope. Okay, we study this so we can have hope, right? So we can live into it. The church is supposed to be a thinking community, right? It's supposed to be ready to prepare to give an answer for the hope that we have. I'm afraid we do not have reputations as thinkers. Instead of our using our knowledge of God to guide us deeper into knowledge, deeper into thought, thought, deeper into the mysteries of the world. Many of us use scriptures as a barrier to shield us from the world. But the word of God isn't for playing defense. It's not. 
It's a sword to more fully engage the world. Our knowledge isn't meant to play it safe. It's meant to inspire action. It's meant for us to live into our callings as sons and daughters of God. So think critically and deeply about scripture and the word. And that should drive us into a deeper, more full faith, more full faith life. All right, number four. I know, these are like boom, boom, boom. That's why, that's why I was like, oh, I gotta change everything. Um, the church is a community that understands time. The world is cursed with the tyranny of the presence. Now is all there is. But the church is a people that embody all of time. This is Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. We were called from before the beginning of time, and we are saved by the power of the cross nearly 2,000 years ago. And we are saved into a magnificent future, a glorious inheritance. And all of that we hold now. All of that's the hope that we hold now. Because of what Christ did then, we look forward to what he's going to do then. All right, that is our hope. It's what gives us strength. This world is not as it was and is not as it will be. I am not as I was, nor am I as I will be. But God is making us something different. We, along with all creation, groan for the redemption of all things when heaven and earth are fully under the reign of Christ. So this time, this, this, this moment is a sacred time, an in-between place where cosmic forces has, are at work. And we've been blessed to join into that work. Right, we've been blessed so that we can contribute, that we can participate in the work that God's doing, declaring the king has come, the kingdom is near. Okay, we hold the fullness of time. Number five, the church is a confident community. The church is confident because it knows Christ. It's not a confidence of ourselves. It's not a confidence in the things of this world. It's a confidence that is rooted in knowing Jesus. To know him is to love him, and to love him is to obey him, trusting that he will be with us no matter the outcome. And, and, and this is something I think the church has lost. I, I really feel like we, we, we've lost the ability to trust God, and, and we trust all sorts of things instead. Um, like we have confidence in money, right? Money makes the world go around. Money buys health care. Money buys good houses. Um, we have confidence in politics, or at least in our political parties, politicians. You know, they're the ones that are going to fight for our values. Um, we have confidence in our own power and our own will, right? You know, we have this get up and do it, pull up or yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. But we lack trust in God. But we, the church, were called to trust God in all things, in all circumstances. even if the wrong political party gets in the White House, right? Even then, even if our, we think our school system are teaching things that we are against, right? even if it seems like our faith is a joke, we're called to trust God, to walk justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. This is Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is our hope. That is our confidence that no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the suffering we may have endured or are currently enduring, we can be confident in our hope in Jesus Christ because we've been shaped by his love. We are still being held by his love. And this is a communal thing. Okay, this is a communal thing. This is something for the whole church. And that's why I, I really believe that testimony is so important. Every once in a while we talk about things, you know, in our staff meetings, like we need to get more testimonies in the church. And then we kind of like kind of put out some feelers and people are like, nope, I'm not going to say anything. You want me to talk in front of everybody? I hate talking in front of everybody. Um, but we need those stories. We need to tell the stories about how God has moved in our lives. We need to tell the stories about the times when we had no hope, but God showed up. About when we had no faith, but God showed up. About those times when we were lost, but there was a miracle. The church needs to hear those stories, especially from people that we know. Um, because there are going to be times when, when, we're, when you're broken and disheartened and you can't see or feel the love of God. And it's those times that the stories, your own stories and the stories of the community around you, people you know, they can give you strength. They can give you confidence and they can sustain you. Right? So the church is called to be a confident community, confident that God is at work. And even through our current sufferings, whatever those current sufferings may be, that God is still at work, that God hasn't given up, that something good is still happening, even though you can't see it, because you're never going to have answers for everything. I know I, I talk to people all the time, and they're like, oh, if only God would show me this one thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, God's not going to show you that. But what about all those other things that God's shown you? Are you going to forget about God? Do you forget about all those other things that God's shown you because you don't understand this one thing? Okay? God, God gives you what you need. Hold on to it. Hold on to your confidence. And this is the, the last point, number six. The church is a community of power. And like everything else, this is not our power. It's the power of Christ that is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of of him who fills everything in every way. Remember, uh, this letter was written to a time when the church, when Christianity, it, it, was, a, it was a weak minority religion um, that was not received even by its own people because Paul found you know, an audience in the synagogues. And, th and this letter was written to Ephesus, which was a city that was known for its fidelity to um, Artemis, right? And it's known for its magic. Right? A city that grew rich in selling religious relics and sorcerer scrolls. The city was powerful. And, and Paul, he was imprisoned in Rome, right? the seat of the empire. And there he was in jail. But he still claims that all authority is Christ's. And that is the upside-down power of the kingdom of God. It is through the relinquishing of earthly power. It is through submission that the low is lifted up. And, and this is just what Jesus taught all the time, over and over again, right? 
Let's not forget the Beatitudes, right? The prelude to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus lays out his alternate vision of the kingdom of God and who will inherit it. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Church, our power is found in giving up power. Right? It's, it's found by giving up. We can't forget that. And as we move through life, we need to hold on to that truth that all authority on heaven and on earth is given to Christ. That every spiritual being submits to his authority. Every dominion and power will submit itself to the Lord Jesus Christ. This world has no authority. The prince of the air's power is broken. And so when we move through this world, though our flesh may be hindered, right? Though we will, we will share Christ's sufferings in this world. We stand with Jesus, who is for the weak, who is for the vulnerable, who is for the orphans and the widows in every society. Right? We know if you stand up to the world, if you stand up to the world, the world is going to hit you back. But we know that there's a deeper, there's a truer, there's a richer world beyond this one. So we hold on fast and we work for that kingdom. Because we are a people of power, and we're trusting that power. And those are Dr. Snodgrass's six lessons that can be learned for Ephesians. And they're not just lessons for, for us, but there's lessons for us, corporately, that we can tell each other, that we can remind each other that God's doing something, that there's a type of person that we're called to be. There's a type of people that God is shaping us corporately to be. Let us learn how to live into that calling together as God's holy family. Let's pray. Holy Father, you are good. You are faithful and you are just, Lord. And Lord, I know that you're shaping us um, bit by bit into being your people, to follow you, to love you, to worship you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we can learn how to, to submit to that. Lord, that we can learn to follow the promptings of your spirit, that we can hear your voice, Lord, that we, can, that we can follow those promptings that lead us to be more like you, that lead us to be sacrificial, that lead us to be generous, that lead us to be giving, that lead us to stand up for injustice, that lead us to, to work for your good, that leads us into hearing and sharing in other people's burdens. Lord, teach us to be your people. In Christ's name, amen.